The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. If you have your Bibles this morning, if you would like to turn with me to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 4 is where we'll spend our time this morning, verse 1 through 7, probably two weeks we'll be in this little section here. Give you a second to get there. The section that we're going to focus on today in chapter 4, verse 1 through 7, is really the conclusion of a bigger section that started back at the beginning of chapter 3. So in chapter 3, verse 1, all the way to chapter 4, verse 7, is a, is a section that Paul has been walking us through. We've been in it together now for six weeks. <clears throat> and so this kind of wraps it up. What we've been looking at, though, through this time, as we've been going through it together, is Paul has been comparing two things. We've seen him compare the new covenant that we have in the blood of Christ with the old covenant that we saw in the law. We've seen him compare Moses with Jesus, and we've seen him compare law versus faith. What Paul wants is he wants the church to see what God has done for them, He really wants them to grasp this. He really wants them to understand this very clearly, to see that salvation is by grace through faith. It's not the law. It's not through the works that they can do, but that God has made a way through Christ that he has poured out his grace on them. He's poured out his grace on sinners. He's made that very clear all throughout the book of Galatians. This is why I believe the Lord led me to Galatians in preaching this. It's because it's important for us to realize that. It's not the things that we do. It's what God has done. And so Paul has laid that out for us very clearly. And he even talked about how we are now sons of Abraham. And we looked at the Abrahamic covenant that God made with Abraham, saying that that his people would come from Abraham, excuse me, that his descendants would be as many as the sand on the sea. And so we are sons of Abraham through faith. It's not about blood. It's not about a lineage or anything like that. This is what the Jews held on to. But no, it's by, it's by this faith that we have. And so we become sons of Abraham. And then Paul stepped it up a little bit last week as we looked and he said, actually, you are sons of God. You are sons of God. And the reality is, and this isn't something that people like to tout or people even like to talk about, but not everybody who walks the face of this earth are children of God. It's not how it works. That's not how it is. In fact, most of the people who walk around on the face of the earth are enemies of God. They have rebelled against God. And Jesus would even say, and we read it last week, I don't need to quote again, but you say, you guys serve your father, Satan, which was startling to hear. It's a startling thing to hear. The only way that we can be a child of God is by being saved through the grace of God by faith in his son, Jesus. And so today what we're gonna look at in closing out this section is we're gonna see how God the Father, how God the Son, and how God the Holy Spirit have worked together so that we could be adopted into God's family. So we could be adopted into God's family. So look with me, I wanna read verse one through seven and then we're gonna break it down into verses. It says, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave 
though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage, under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I want us to first look at verse one through two. One and two, it's kind of a confusing thing that Paul talks about here as he's comparing an heir and a slave. I wanna read it again. It says, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. When we think about this comparison of an heir and a slave, if I took a poll of all of you and said, would you rather be an heir or would you rather be a slave? I'm assuming it'd be 100% an heir, right? No, no one wants to be a slave, but yet Paul is comparing heirs and slaves. When we think about an heir, we think an heir has a right to everything, right? The heir has the right to all things of the father. The slave has a right to absolutely nothing, has no rights to anything. An heir is raised up and trained to lead. Slaves are trained to serve. So we have to ask, Paul, what is, what is Paul getting at here? What is his point in comparing an heir and a slave? And what Paul points us to is he says, the heir, when he is growing up, actually owns nothing. The heir doesn't have ownership of anything. It's all the father. The father still owns it all. Nothing is the heirs at all. And so just like the slave who is living under the care of the master, here you have the heir living under the care of the father who owns everything. So Paul's saying there's, there's no difference here. Now, in our society today, we don't really see it work this way, it seems. It seems the heirs own everything. They get all of the money. They, do all, they spend all of the money. They take no ownership or leadership. They don't seem to be trained to serve. And so for us, maybe it's a little difficult to wrap our heads around this. But what would happen back then is the heir would have tutors, would have what, what scripture calls a pedagogue. And I can't remember if we talked about this on Sunday morning or, or Sunday night, but the pedagogue's job was simply to make sure that the heir, the child, made it to school every day. And that then they made it back home every day and then did what they were told. And so the pedagogue, when pictured uh, throughout history and literature, was holding a stick. This was a stick for beating, not for play. This was for beating, to make sure you're going to go where you're supposed to go. My job as your tutor is to train you as an heir and to make sure you get to school where your teachers will train you in what you need to know. And then I'm gonna make sure that you get back. And also, I'm gonna make sure that you're safe. I'm not gonna let anybody touch you. I'm not gonna let anybody hurt you because you are the heir and one day you will be the owner. One day you will be the one who needs to take charge. And so you need to learn these things. And so what often happened is the heir had really no voice at all, but the heir was always told what to do, was always being told where to go, 
what time they had to get up, what time they had to get home, what their tasks were for the day. Now, I would have to imagine that this would be a difficult situation for these heirs. I know society changes and things kind of change, but I do think kids are kids. And so I would have to believe that there were many heirs before the father said they were ready, thought to themselves, I'm ready for this, right? I'm ready to jump in, hand it over to me, hand the business over to me. I'm ready to go. Maybe some of you have been in this situation where you owned a company, you built it up by your own hands, whatever it may be. And now it's time to pass it on to your child. And it's a difficult thing, right? You say, they're not ready. I'm ready. I know how to build things. I know how to do what you do. I can go do these things. And the dad thinks, you have no idea, right? You have no idea what all this takes. You, you see these things, but you just don't grasp it yet. You just do not understand. And so this had to be a difficult time in the heir's life, wanting to be released, wanting to get into the action, ready to take over, maybe ready to sit on the throne, but the father knowing that that just simply wasn't true. We've all been there before. All of us have been there before where we believe that we're ready, but the people above us are saying, you're not quite ready yet. And I think, I think if we look back to those times, we're actually thankful for them. When we look back now, we say, man, I'm thankful because they saved me from probably a lot of harm. They saved me from a lot of hurt. But I wanna point out something that's important for us in this passage. Look at verse two. It says, but as under guardians and stewards, notice this, until the time appointed by the father. This will be, be important as we move forward. Until the time appointed by the father. The heir didn't receive anything until the time was appointed that the father would say, you're ready. You're ready to receive, you're ready to go, you're ready to do. Look at verse three. It says, even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. This is probably uh, the most challenging part of this passage. A lot as you look into commentaries and you look at uh, these people throughout time who have studied this passage and they wonder, what does it mean, the elements of the world? What I think is being said here, what I think is being talked about here is the law. And again, I don't think a lot of stuff weighs heavy on this where it changes the meaning. But I think what Paul is talking about is saying, even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the law. And when you think about the word, that word elements, it's talking about the very basic principles of life. And when we look at the law that God has given us, the law that we must live up to that standard, that's the, the basic principles of life. If you wanna live how you're supposed to live, this is what you live by. And so what Paul does here is he compares a Christian's life before Christ to that of being an heir, to that of being an heir. We're slaves to this elementary principles of the world. We are, we are slaves to the law. The law shows us these basic principles and we're slaves to it. We're, we're under it because we can't even keep the basic principles most of us in here have felt that. All of us should have felt that before. If you're, if you're a Christian today, part of your testimony should be, I felt what it was like to be a slave to the law. I was in bondage to it. I, I couldn't get past it. I, I couldn't get over it. No matter what I tried to do, I simply couldn't succeed in it. 
You know, I would try to be good. I would, I would make a list of do's and don'ts, but it didn't matter. It just simply fell apart. Thank you. <clears throat> What's this? Oh, thank you. It just simply fell apart all the time. I could not keep the law that God had laid there for me. And so what was I? I was a slave to it. I was a slave to that law. Now, now think about this language to the Jewish people as Paul is talking to them. What did they hold in their hat for so long? What did Moses do for them? He freed them from being slaves. We're not slaves to anybody. Moses, our father, freed us from slavery in Egypt. And so for Paul to say something to them like this, saying, you've been slaves your whole life, had to take them back. Wait a second. No, we're, we're free people. God, God set us free through, through Moses. And what Paul wants them to see in this is the truth that the, no, the law has held you as a slave because you can't get past it. You cannot live up to it. But this was the job of the law. This is why God gave us the law. The law was there to show us our sin until the appointed time of the Father. That harkens back to why, to verse two. So look at verse four and five. This is really the meat of this passage. It says, but when the fullness of the time had come, there it is. When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, I do not expect to get through these two verses this morning and I hope to hang out here for about the next 15 minutes and just a couple things for us to see because what, what we read here is, what, is why we are who we are as Christians. This is why it's the conclusion of this section. Paul's been talking about the law. He's been talking about how it holds us down as, as slaves, how it has pointed us to Christ. And he's answered questions. Well, then why do we even have the law? What was the purpose of the law? And this is Paul's answer. You ask these questions and Paul says, when the fullness of time had come. That's the first thing here. At the very perfect time, God's plan was played out. This is something that we often do not like to think about. It's something that we like to argue with God about. But whether you believe it or not, everything happens according to God's plan and in his perfect time. Everything. You can think about this historically. Jesus came at the perfect time. I've heard people say, and maybe I've thought it before, I don't know. But you think, Jesus wouldn't now have been a better time? I mean, we've got television, we have internet, we have airplanes, we have all these kind of things. Wouldn't it have made sense for you to come now? I mean, you could have done a world tour. No problem. Let everybody see you. Did miracles in every single country. Doesn't that make more sense? You see, that's us thinking. But what we have to remember is when the fullness of time had come, that's when God sent his son. God at the perfect time sent 
Jesus. Now, to make it maybe more personal, maybe some of you would say, man, if I would have just been saved when I was younger, it would have saved me from a whole mess of trouble. Man, if I would have, if I just would have been smarter and listened to those people in vacation Bible school, oh, what trouble that would have saved me. Can I tell you something? It was not an accident when you were saved. At the perfect time, at the appointed time, God the Father opened your eyes to the truth of who his son was. And at the appointed time, God the Holy Spirit impacted your heart and drew you to the son, drew you to the son and caused you to fall on your knees before the father at the perfect time. And so <clears throat> I feel like a lot of Christians hold on to this regret. They, they hold on to this baggage of, of, their, of their sins in the past. And they, they think, what if, what if, what if? That is a game that Satan has given you, the what if game. At the perfect appointed time, God the Father saved your soul. At the perfect time. And we should thank him for that. We should be grateful for that. In God's plan, remember, in God's plan, nothing happens too early and absolutely nothing happens too late. It happens right when it's supposed to happen. Now, I will say this too. This is the hangup for a lot of people. When you talk to them about the gospel, when you share with them about God's word and you say God is perfect in all he does, you know what they'll bring up to you? What about these wars? What about this? You know, why are these things happening? And their hangup is, they know better than God. That is their hangup. Well, when you get down to what it really is the deal, they think they have a better plan than what God's plan is. For us as Christians, as Bible-believing Christians who hold on to this word sacredly, we know that even when we face difficulties, that even when we face troubles, when we face situations that we feel like we should not be facing, what we have to hold on to, what is our hope? is that we know in the, at the perfect time, God is making what's happening happen. Yes, it's hard and yes, it hurts, but God is a perfect God. He's a loving God. As we'll see, as we get through this a little far, farther, he's our father who loves us. And so I don't know why we're going through this situation, but I know this, it's perfect because God is perfect. And yeah, I'm struggling, but I will get through it through the power that he has given me, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the first thing we see in verse four through five of being redeemed and adopted is that it happens at the perfect time. And then what happened at the perfect time? It says, God sent forth his son. God sent forth his son. I can think of nothing in this world that we take for granted more than this. The fact that God the father would send his son into this world really is a tough thing to think about if you think about it from a father's standpoint. I wanna try to paint this picture if I can to, to bring it home. I, I don't know if any of you have ever looked into adoption or into adopting a, a child, but it's not an easy process. It's a difficult process. And if you're gonna go into adoption and, and just adopt, it's gonna cost you twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 is what it's gonna cost. And it's gonna take a lot of time it's gonna take a lot of effort. If you wanna adopt a child outside of the country, you will have to go and spend time in that country. You'll have to go into the court system into that country. 
And it's very taxing on a family. It's taxing on a relationship. It takes a lot of work. But this is what would be even more taxing. And this is where I hope it really brings the picture. So if I'm trying to adopt a child from some foreign country and I go over there and I do my time and I do my things, but then the government says this, hey, but you have a child, don't you? Yeah, I do. I need one of them. If you wanna adopt this child, I need yours. That would change the ball game, wouldn't it? I mean, it's hard enough. I'm pro-adoption. I'm pro-foster care. It's something my family does, very much so. And so it's already hard enough to get people to see that as Christians, we're called to these things. But if I had to add to it, yeah, by the way, we got to sacrifice one of your kids so you can save this kid. I would guess nobody would sign up. I would guess very few would sign up. I dare say, I know I wouldn't sign up. I wouldn't sign up for that. But yet God, the father, when looking to adopt us because we couldn't have a relationship with him because of our sin. What he did is he said, son, it's time for you to go. The fullness of time has been met and now is the time that you are gonna go and you are gonna die so that they can be a part of my family. Think of that. Think of what a loving father we have that he would sacrifice his one and only son so that you could be called a child of God. Also what we see here in this passage, and this is very important, is we see Jesus's divine nature. We see that he's fully God because it said God sent forth his son who already existed. It's implied there in that passage. God didn't create his son. God didn't make up his son. He was already there. And you say, well, Pastor Tim, why do you bring that up after sharing such a sad analogy? Why, why is it important for us to know that he was fully God? Well, it's important for us to know that he was fully God because God is the one that we have sinned against. And if we've sinned against God, then it's God who we have to find forgiveness in and that God can only do that. I wanna read a quote for you. This is Leo Schuster. He says, so why is it so important that Jesus is our redeemer be truly God? Our sin was committed against God. Only God can forgive a transgression against himself. This is why some of the religious leaders in Jesus's day were horrified when he said he forgave sins. They understood the implications of what he said. How could a mere man forgive the sin we have against God? It's simple. A mere man can't, but God can. There are many people today who claim to be Christians but who will gladly tell you that Jesus was not fully God, that he was not divine, that he was just a prophet, that he was just a man. If Jesus is just a prophet, if Jesus is just a man, then he has no right to forgive my sins, none whatsoever, because I didn't sin against him if he's just a man. When I sin, I sin against God. When you sin, you sin against God. You might say, well, no, I, I sinned against my wife or I sinned against my coworkers. No, in the end, you have sinned against the holy God who told you not to sin. And so when you seek forgiveness, when you need forgiveness, you need it from him and only he can provide that, nothing else. So the Bible tells us at the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. And look at the next statement, born of a woman born of a woman. Now, why would Paul say this? Well, because it shows the other side of Christ. Fully God, 
and also fully man. Born of a woman, born in the flesh. And again, this is vital for who Jesus is. Jesus took on flesh with all of its problems, with all of its temptations. Why did he do this? Why would, why would God take on flesh? Well, it was very simple. He took on flesh so he could conquer what we were slaves to. So he could conquer the law. So he could fulfill it 100% perfectly. No, nothing missed, right? Jesus said when, when he was talking in the gospels, he would say, I didn't come to destroy the law, right? I came to fulfill the law. Well, why is that so important? Because the law had to be fulfilled in order for there to be a relationship with God the Father. What Jesus has done is he fulfilled the law in his flesh in our place perfectly. And then he was nailed to a cross. Then he was killed unjustly. No sin was found in him. No law ever broken in him. But they nailed him to a tree. Why? So he would be the curse that we were supposed to be, that we saw earlier in Galatians. He was nailed to that tree, died, but he didn't stay there. He rose again so that we can have life, so that we could have life everlasting. This is all laid out for us in the book of Hebrews. If I could give you homework, which I wish I could, I would tell you to read the book of Hebrews. Jesus came to be our prophet. You see the, the problem and our priest, the problem with the priests of old is they, they kind of got secluded from society and it was hard for them to understand the needs of the people and what people were going through. Does that sound familiar at all today with our politics, right? That's what everybody complains about. You don't care about us. You're just caring about your career. You just want to further your career. It was the same with the priests, right? You, you're not worried about us. Here's talking about how much better you are than us. But what we have in Jesus is we have the perfect high priest who came and faced every temptation that we will face, who suffered every ailment that we would face, who knows exactly what it is like to take on the flesh. The Bible says that he had no place to lay his head. He had no place to call his home. Homeless, without friends in his biggest time of need. Jesus understands all these things being fully man. And why did he do this? So that we could have a relationship with him. So that we could have a relationship with the father. So that when we fall on our knees before we go to bed and we say, God, I've had the worst day. God, I just wish somebody could understand what I am going through. People just don't get it. Your father gets it. God, the son completely gets it. He completely gets it. And so we have one that we can lean on. We have one that we can trust in. We have one that we can hold on to so that when the rest of the world betrays us, when the, when the rest of the world runs from us, we still have a friend who sticks closer than a brother, that being Jesus, who knows our needs, who knows even our wants and who knows our desires who loves us and who cares for us. I don't wanna continue on here in this passage because it'll take me too long with our time. But I do wanna ask you this morning, have you fully trusted in Jesus and who he is? Do you live your life for him? 
I was so struck as I was studying this passage at that phrase, God sent forth his son. And as I read different commentaries and read different sermons and studied all these different things to just see the different examples that people would share and to think how often in my life I just simply take that for granted. The act that God the Father did so that I could have a relationship with him is astounding. And as believers in Christ, as those who have put their faith in Christ, who God has poured his grace out on us, this is not something that we should take for granted. It's something that should be in the forefront of our minds as we go to work, as we, as we deal with our families. Yeah, you know, I think about those, those moms, your stay-at-home mom and you're dealing with kids all the time. And I, I hear it from my wife too. I, I just need a break from these kids. You know, just give me some time away from them. And not because she doesn't love them, but it already gets difficult in, in dealing with the kids all the time. And I wonder for that stay-at-home mom, if what was on the forefront of your mind every day was that God sent forth his son for you, how would that change your day? How would that change your, your attitude? When you're dealing with your boss, who's just a, a bad person, and you know it, you know it's a bad, a bad person, always doesn't care about your family, making you work, whatever it may be, how, how would it change your relationship with him? Just thinking about, you know what? God sent forth his son for me. I can deal with this problem. I, I can deal with these things. I hope it'll be on the forefront of your mind. I want you to bow with me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. We're gonna pray here in a moment. I hope that you'll take some time in the days ahead to continue reading in chapter four, verse one through seven and meditating on it and studying it. Because it doesn't end there. Jesus was also born under the law to redeem us from it. That we might receive the adoption as sons. And next week, I want us to focus on that what it means to be adopted into the family of God and the implications that it has on our lives. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to, I want you to think about your life. I do, I want you to take the time to do that right now, to think about your life. Think about where you've been, where you've come from. I want, I want you to think about your relationship with God. For some of you, you remember a time when God saved you, when his grace was poured out on you, when that fullness of time had came in your life. When was the last time you thanked him for that? When was the last time you truly praised him for what he has done for you? But then there are others here, when you look at your life, that time hasn't come. Can I ask, is today that time? Has God opened your eyes to the truth maybe for the first time this morning? Is the power of the Holy Spirit drawing you to him saying, this is what I've done for you. I sent my son for you that by faith you may receive it. This morning, would you do that? It's not some magic thing that you have to do. It's just letting God know, God, I believe in Jesus. I trust in him. I hope you'll do that this morning if you've never done that. I believe God works and God moves through his word. I trust that he'll do that this morning. God, we thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for your word. God, I hope and pray that you can use my feeble attempt this morning to try to preach it and share it. 
But God, the truth that lies in these passages of what you have done for us, God, how you sent forth your son so that we could be called sons and daughters of God. God, that is just an astounding thought, an amazing thing to think about of what you have done for us and how we rebelled against you, a holy God. And God, you had the full right to just destroy everything, to to start over, to, to wipe everything out. But God, yet what you chose instead was to make a way for us to have a relationship with you. And that was through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, your son. God, I ask that you would forgive me for how often I take that for granted. God, I ask that you would help us as a church body to not take that for granted. God, I pray that that is what we would think about all the time. And God, as we think about that, God, I know that it will propel us to share the gospel with other people. It would propel us to love each other how we are supposed to love each other. God, it would bring great unity into this church body. God, it would bring plenty of funds. We wouldn't have to worry about giving and all that stuff. God, it would just be pouring into you because of us understanding what you've done for us. God, help us to fully grasp that even this week as we meditate on your word. And God, I do pray for those here this morning who are not your children, who, who've never been saved by your grace. God, I pray that you would open their eyes to that truth. I pray that they would repent of their sins and trust Jesus who accomplished everything for them and that they would be able to wear his righteousness. God, only you can do that in their lives. And so I pray that you would do that. Trust that you are doing that. God, as we close with the song, I pray that we would sing a song to you of praise, that we would honor you, and that we wouldn't just be ready to go and looking to get out, but that we would be responding to your word how we should with praise and adoration. God, we thank you. Help us now, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.